Welcome to the Truth CSGO podcast, episode 63. Today we are talking the final champion stage of the Katowice Major 2019. We're going to be covering about 50 million roster changes and then a little section on diet and mental health. Hey guys, this is Electro. Hey guys, I'm Guardian. This is Daps. This is Nico. This is Nifty. This is Chris J. This is Fair. Code Zero. Flusher. Oh, this is Kerrigan. Are you listening to the truth? The truth. The truth. The truth. The truth. The truth. CSGO podcast. The truth CSGO podcast. The truth CSGO podcast. Are we rushing in or are we going sneaky beaky like? Okay, so my company has moved me again and I am in a new place, which means I've got a massive echo (laughs) once again. Uh, So apologies for that sound. I feel like there's always a caveat every episode. Anyway, let's smash on to the final week of the major. It was pretty exciting and there's a lot to talk about. Uh, We're just going to go through these maps because obviously we started with the semifinals and then went to the grand finals. Uh, We started off with FaZe versus Na'Vi. This was a good showing for FaZe initially, starting on the T side on Inferno, but Na'Vi came back thanks to some great entries from Zeus and also some sloppy CT coordination from FaZe. Flamey actually aced the two pistols in this game, which is a first, apparently. I don't know if it's a first in the history of the universe, but uh, it was definitely a first in the history of majors. Nico was underfragging pretty hard, considering what we're used to. Uh, And Mirage, which was the second map, these guys were completely outthought by Zeus. So they lost both maps and FaZe was out of the competition. A pretty lackluster showing from them in general. It appears that the ejection of Carrigan hasn't really done much for their strategies and cohesion in the long term. And the addition of Yanko seemingly hasn't improved these guys much at all either. I still felt like they were a bit uh, all over the shop tactically, uh, despite... A little bit more interesting things going on in the T side than we're used to. I think one of the most strongest things about uh, Carrigan's uh, leadership was actually the CT sides. The CT sides, especially when that roster smashed into the scene in 2017, was their strongest thing. And their CT sides just are looking a bit um, limp right now. Anyway, uh, the next match we had was MIBR versus Renegades. Renegades obviously had had an absolute dream banger of a run up until this point. This started on Dust 2, which was a bit of a weird pick for Renegades. Apparently, they've been practicing a bit uh, and maybe hoping to take MIBR a little bit off guard, which I think they might have done. I think there was an interview with Tarko where he said they didn't expect it, but these guys are old pros. Renegades had some great moments in this map, particularly some good reads on MIBR tendencies. It really felt like they'd uh, done a bit of homework. But the, the dynamic nature of the Brazilians, that has always made them so dangerous. If you recall uh, many, 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 many episodes ago when they were SK, it was all about dyads and triads and trades and partnerships all over the map. Um, This was back in full form and their mid-round calls, their continually adapting rotations were pretty damn good. And obviously that used to be the dominant meta that's obviously uh, been somewhat um, rendered obsolete now by the ascension of Australis, but still against a team like Renegades, it was pretty powerful. And Azar unfortunately underfragged in this game, he'd been doing so well up until this point, but just uh, dropped the ball a little bit. Train was the next pip pick uh, for these guys and I've said it before and I'll say it again you don't pick uh, train against fallen you just don't do it it's a perfect map for a combat orper especially on the CT side and uh, actually the renegades boys went quite hard up on the CT side they did quite well but then didn't really have the T side to back it up and they were banged out of the comp so a massive effort from them Uh, historical run obviously very proud of the boys very proud to call myself an Australian 
But MIBR just had too much experience. Now, next up we had Australis versus NIP. This was a bit of a sad match in some ways. The first map anyway, this went 16-2 to Australis's way. They were absolutely dominated on Mirage. If you caught the match, you know they were up uh, down 15-0 until Rez won the pistol on the half swap, which was a lot of fun. Uh, as an old fanboy of NIP, I think I said this last episode. It's always you're always you're always rooting for them in some way because there's nothing uh, more fun narrative-wise than an old team finding glory again. Hence why uh, I loved Virtus Pro so much, but um, wasn't to be this time. They had a massive comeback on the second map of Dust Two after being down. I think it was about twelve three or something in the first half. Uh, but in the end, it just felt like they didn't have as much depth in their practice, in their adaptations to various scenarios. And Australis could get a pick or make a push, and they just weren't as oiled in the way they adapted to, um, what do you call it? Going over the other side of the map, what's the bloody called? That word, it starts with an R. Rotations, that's the one. Um, so a shame to see those guys go out. I think they kind of put up a pretty similar fight to Australis as they did in the last major. Some flashes of brilliance and some almost could have moments. But uh, a lot of people came down on Dennis too quite hard for this. I spoke about him last episode. I think he did much better in these last two games. There's some there's some aspect of their performance though that all their practice that I think they're they're lacking. And I don't think they'll get to the top again unless they overhaul said practice routines next up was ents versus liquid now this was expected to go liquid's way pretty much universally i said last episode this was this whole tournament in fact was liquids to lose and they lost it here <laughs> against the finnish boys i felt like ents had incredible reads on liquid setups and tendencies i don't have the maps listed down here just a few little notes actually i felt liquid looked a bit rattled there was some misplays. It was far less uh, dynamic than we're used to seeing them, especially on their exec- executes. And we were talking about this in the Discord, actually. Stewie2k in particular looked really shaky. He was doing some really weird movements and things as if he wasn't really as calm as he should be, as if the adrenaline was getting to him, which is, you know, as someone who's played a lot of big events, it's a bit strange. But something was, something was not cooking right in the liquid camp. Perhaps they were just so surprised by how solid Ents were looking and how much they uh, had been sort of red in a way. So back to the drawing board for those guys. Uh, I would be quite demoralized if I was liquid. And I would also be looking to smooth out whatever is going on psychologically. Perhaps <coughs> Stewie2k isn't fitting in quite as well as we thought he might have or might have, might have, might have. Truth CSGO podcast, giving you grammatical lessons on the Flizio. Uh, next up, we had Ents first Na'Vi. Of course, Ents then went through to the semis. This was a battle of the new dads. Alu has just had a baby or just had a baby the weekend prior, and so had Electronic. Pretty exciting things. Uh, first map was Train. Ents actually have quite a good T-side on Train. They got seven rounds. And, do you know, when you get seven rounds on the T-side on train, you're pretty much, you know, everything being as it should, you're pretty much guaranteed a win. Na'Vi actually seemed less well thought out with their strats than Ents. No surprise there. Once they got rebuffed, it looked like they also suffered from a bit of a rusty communication. These guys are quite well known for losing their cool when things aren't going their way. We saw it in the grand final of the face at Major London. Uh, and this one was no exception. 
they did manage to keep their lead with some monster plays and some successful B uh, explosive uh, attacks, but it was not enough. And the Ents boys closed it out. Next map was Dust 2, and this was Na'Vi schooling Ents, really. Obviously, this was their pick, but um, Ents really looked like they hadn't had nearly as much experience or prep on this map as Na'Vi. So things got very exciting. And the third map uh, was Mirage. Things went much closer to Alu, who had gone kind of missing on Dust, perhaps thinking about the new uh, baby Alu. But he finally showed up near the end of this match. And once again, Na'Vi began tilting. This was not a good look for them. Simple was uh, really pretty hopped up on adrenaline. And as close as he got to some clutching moments and carrying the entire team into victory, he, he just looked like he was a bit out of control. Uh, and when things get out of control, obviously, it's very, very hard to maintain a cool head. And as we've seen with Astralis, you maintain the cool head, you win statistically. Um, eventually took this 16-14. This was a bit of a banger moment. If you're new to CS and listening to this potty uh, to get to speed with things, Ents really only formed about a year, a year and a half ago. And as Sean Guerres said on the desk, a lot of people consider them kind of a meme uh, this time last year. That's hardly the case now. To be honest, though, when they started winning events or showing up, showing some good uh, runs at events last year, I think it was ESL 1 Cologne where they came fourth or something, uh, and they won a title before that, we were talking about them looking pretty solid. Looking pretty good. Looking quite flat, you know, quite flat across the board. We we're talking about that last episode as well in terms of uh, Astralis versus, say, uh, an RV. Everybody was contributing. They all seemed to be quite uh, happy with their roles. And even your support players were not, um, you know, severely under fragging and nor is the IGL. Uh, Alexi B or Alexib, depending on uh, how you like to roll with it. On your tongue. Uh, now, this was pretty exciting at France, obviously. This took them through to the grand final. We'll get to that in a second. The last semi uh, we had was MIBR versus Astralis. Interesting statistic about this semi. The last five games, these guys played each other. Astralis won 16-14. Then they had two double overtimes. And they had one 16-10. So there's definitely... Oh, that's only four games. Oh, well. I'm not sure what happened on the fifth one. Uh, either way, these guys definitely had have have had some really, really close matchups, albeit this was with the the last lineup with Tarek and Stewie. However, a lot of people were thinking that Fallen could be the one to knock Astralis out in the end. The first map was Overpass. MIBR took them the distance. Um, we've talked about a really uh, game that's, that's quite dear to my heart several times in this podcast at the PGL Krakow Major when Astralis took on SK the Brazilian core at the time, on overpass and schooled them to within an inch of their life with some heavy, heavy anti-stratting and a device who had basically studied all of Fallen's moves. So this was proving to be a very good uh, rematch of this sort of thing. And we saw it happening. Uh, MIBR had that fluid style going in and amongst bathrooms and connector and all that kind of stuff. And they were punishing even the smallest mistakes of Astralis. But in the end, there was just too much depth in the strat book for the strat book strat strat book for the Danes. These guys won at sixteen fourteen. I don't think we're at perfect MIBR yet, uh, but also we saw more mistakes than we're used to seeing with Astralis. So they definitely know how to force mistakes out of teams. And according to Magus, they or Magus, they got a bit surprised in the veto with this one, and so perhaps that was why they were. Uh, a little bit shakier on it than we're used to. Next map was Inferno, and Inferno displayed a far less confident MIBR. They're a bit headless, like they couldn't decide where they were going half the time. 
And this could be in a little uh, speculation of mine, perhaps that the confidence link between Fall, and I used to call Fall the head of the octopus of SK because he always felt like he was kind of moving around the, rat, the map and then there were these tentacles that were connected to him in the forms of the other players. But it does feel like a bit of that link has gone from the head of the octopus and the, uh, the tentacles. <laughs> Uh, this could have been broken perhaps in the crisis of confidence that uh, occurred, you know, speculatively uh, when Cold Zero took over the IGLing for a brief stint of madness last year. I think it really showed how incredible the comms were uh, between Australis. And this was probably one of the most exciting maps, just, just purely because of some of the ecos they won. And in particular, I would draw your attention to round 19, which was one of the most incredible dog's breakfast ecos I have ever seen. Uh, and it demonstrates just crystal clear broadband Wi-Fi uh, connectivity between um, the Australis players. And especially between the two bomb sites on Inferno, these guys were CT. And how if you've got really good communication, it can overcome like a TC side, T, 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 T side who is stuck in the middle, who don't really know where they're going. Uh, if you didn't catch much of the major, this is a map I think you should watch. It clearly shows the differences in meta. Although, as I said, you know, this is, there was not an MIBR who looked confident on this map or fully confident as a core yet. This is their first LAN back together. Um, but definitely it shows the difference between these two teams right now. Um, I wasn't too impressed with Fur and some of his decision making. Uh, that's one thing that I thought looked a bit rustier than it should have been. Everybody was um, actually mentioning how Fur looked like he was back to his old uh, tricks. Uh, I didn't think so. And Phelps, I thought, was a bit, um, a little bit uh, headless sometimes. Perhaps he's uh, still adjusting to the support, the fully support role that uh, I assume. <laughs> Fallen has stipulated in some sort of contract that uh, Phelps was forced to sign in order to be dragged from the doldrums of tier 2 slash 3 Brazilian Counter-Strike. Um, mostly, I think the interesting part about this was what Zonic said in an interview prior in between the two maps where he said we're going to take banana control every round. Uh, and they proceeded to do it. The net result, I think, of this map was... A question that occurred in my mind, which was whether or not Fallen has missed the meta and whether or not the dynamic duos slash trios are actually going to be effective against Astralis in the long run whatsoever. Uh, you know what also occurs to me, or the other question that really kind of came to the fore is what is the rest of the community doing right now about Astralis and... What's the game plan? Because it kind of feels like they've been on top so long that some of the other teams have just been sort of waiting until they get bored or waiting until they slip up. And no one, in fact, seems to be getting close to their level. Although, I think I did mention this last episode of the episode prior, uh, there are some indications that Renegades have begun to implement some of the holistic structures of training um, as Astralis, although I don't know about I don't know about the directed specific practice routines that they've been getting from their sports coach, but I do I have heard rumblings. I think I mentioned from Pronax as well that they are employing things like 
you know, nutritionists and psychologists and I don't know. I, I don't know if there's anything more than that. Either way, it kind of feels like no one's really taking them up on the challenge here. And until these guys do get bored or someone else goes, all right, let's attack this problem from every statistical possibility available. Even a team as incredible and dynamic as MIBR, even if they get back to their, you know, the top of their form, I just don't see them beating Astralis. Anyway, we we uh, we came to the grand final, which uh, surprisingly for a lot of people was uh, Ents versus Astralis. Uh, one of the funnest things about this was that Ents came out to their own theme song. Some uh, crazy Finnish dudes have recorded what sounds like, uh, uh, what do you call it, Euro... Euro pop. There's some word for it. Um, Euro trash. I'm not sure what the actual genre is called, but it's the kind of song that you would hear on a rusty stereo being played uh, on a bus from Copenhagen to Bangkok or something on on repeat, uh, and so loud that it's busted the uh, bass speaker and it just piles into your brain anyway uh just some flashbacks from old traveling adventures there the song itself is awesome i hope we're going to end the podcast with it uh i'm trying to get permission as we speak but maybe i'll just put it up and then hope nothing happens um this is exciting obviously uh, best of three we started off with train ence had looked incredible on train they put up a good tea fight uh tea fight tea side fight but they did not get enough rounds on the T side, which didn't bode well. We were on the Discord, a few of us, and uh, basically everything that was spoken on that Discord were admonitions, uh, size, uh, incredulity, and disappointment. I did think that the uh, nerves, the nerves of steel, which Ents had been so remarkably displaying across this tournament, and in fact was, I think, one of the keys to their success, really, when it comes down to it, um, I think they did get the better of them towards the end of train. They started going a bit YOLO and doing some plays that uh, I don't think we would have seen them doing. I don't think we saw them doing in earlier group stages. They did manage to lose and then they got rolled on the second map of Inferno. Absolutely rolled. So Astralis won their third major their second consecutive one. Uh, and Ents obviously still have a long way to go to be a contender, I think, for the top spot. But an amazing showing and unexpected despite the progress they've made. And I think one of the things that we can attribute their success to, uh, quite apart from the fact that everybody was going off, they have, uh, you know, I don't think they're incredible strat-wise, but they definitely have a lot of cohesion. They have good flashes for each other. They have good cohesion, uh, and they do have good calmness, composure. That's the word. I think one of the things, though, we can attribute their success to is the fact that quite a few of the big rosters are looking a bit shaky, looking a bit shaky uh, in terms of the chemistry. Navi, Astralis, FaZe, obviously, uh liquid i didn't think they were but uh i think they are now um and mibr of course uh australis actually did say in the post interview that ends didn't look amazing um to them when they were playing them and prior to, to prior to the grand final but sometimes at their individual level was really surprising to them and their composure so they also were really impressed with the individual level and the way those guys handled the pressure but team-wise, strat-wise, cohesion-wise, they have a while to go. 
Uh, it did look like Glaive still had the flu in the post-match interview. And uh, they also mentioned that... Um, I don't know why I noted that down. <laughs> Only that if he was playing with the flu... And he did say he wasn't playing up to par. He was playing with the flu and they still managed to romp their way towards a major trophy, then that's pretty damn impressive. They did mention as well that preparing for this best of five, best of five, best of three, they put in about four or five hours the night before, and they don't think any other team does this much. I don't understand that. You're two games away, potentially, from winning $500,000, and you're not going to put in four or five hours of preparation the day before. What are you doing? What are you doing? I do not understand that. Um, they also touched on the physical aspects uh, that they've been concentrating on in terms of the holistic approach to the game, which I mentioned earlier. They have a sleeping person, someone who <laughs> either advises them or monitors them on their sleep or gives them advice or something like that. They didn't specify. And they have a physiologist who I guess is uh, helping them with neck pains and keeping limber and loose and giving them all sorts of sports massages and whatnot. One of the things that they mentioned as well, which I tweeted out, was a uh, nutritionist. And I think this was worthy of noting uh, that they have a nutritionist and attributed some of their success to that person. Because uh, Golden recently released a tweet longer, he of C9, previously of Fanatic fame, who has explained where his uh, illness came from, his absence so if, if you uh, have been up in the scene, you would know that Golden has been benched, or not benched, but uh, off the roster for Cloud9. He was off the roster for this tournament, and he's been off for about three months, I think, back in his hometown of the Sweden, and recuperating from some unnamed disease. Well, he's named it now, and I believe it is myocardia, which uh, I think is an inflammation of the heart. One of the uh, things that you can attribute this to is unhealthy eating and a stressful lifestyle and indeed he said that he was basically living in a state of anxiety the whole time and chowing down on junk food not sleeping properly not eating properly and apparently developed this quite dangerous condition if it's not treated so isn't that amazing? This guy has been an IGL on one of the top teams Fnatic for quite some time goes to what was previously the top uh, North American team to become their IGL and is eating junk food all the time. So this just shows how how far the gap is right now between uh, what Australis are doing and what some other players, I don't know about teams, but what some other players have been doing even as recently as last year. This has prompted me to uh, think about doing an episode for this podcast that kind of addresses all these things. I think what Australis are doing, or at least it's become evident to me, is sort of moneyballing their life. If you don't know what moneyball is, and maybe I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but it's a uh, book and then it became a movie that's based on a baseball team uh, whose manager or I can't remember who it was, player, player manager or player coach or something, started playing the game of statistics and drafting in players who weren't star players but statistically maybe had a 5% more chance of, say, hitting a home run or stealing a base here and there. And so he assembled this team of relatively boring players, but statistically speaking, in a lot of different aspects, they had a much higher chance of winning. And they eventually did win and became kind of a really successful team. And then Moneyball, or the idea of it, 
was taken up by all the other teams. Uh, and what Australis are doing that's similar to this, I think, is that they're looking at all the aspects that can affect your performance. So not just how good do I shoot heads or what execute are we going to use on the B side, on the T side or the B side, or whatever. Um, but for instance, have I got enough sleep last night? And what's the difference between me getting seven hours of sleep and eight hours of sleep? And if that difference can be attributed to a number, let's say, you know, a 2% faster reaction time speed, then I will get eight hours sleep. And that hour makes a 2% chance to whether I'll get a head, headshot or not, right? And so then I'll put that together with, say, a proper diet. And if I wake up on the day of the uh, match or perhaps even just a training day and I eat a healthy diet of uh, essential acids and, you know, whatever, uh, what a healthy diet we'll talk about later on in the diet section, but um, that might give me, let's say, an extra 5% chance to respond quicker to my teammates' calls, right? Because I'm processing things faster because I don't have inflammation of the brain from sugary foods or a bad diet or no, no food at all. So anyway, I'm not going to bang on, but basically you put all these things together and let's say you only end up with a 12% difference in your performance overall. A 12% difference in a, a a match of, let's say, 16 rounds may may be the difference between one, two rounds, right? And you see how many matches in this tournament went went to 16-14. That might be the difference between $500,000 uh, and nothing, right? Or $250,000 or whatever the second prize was, I forget. So... Basically, I got interested in the idea that you could actually sort of moneyball your life. And the way we think about uh, the goals that we're trying to achieve every day, uh, we're not often thinking about these small differences that are adding up in the same way that a team like Australis actually is and uh, achieving victory after victory. And obviously from Golden's uh, tweet, nor was he. Despite having won two massive tournaments in 2017 with Fnatic and then being transferred in an incredible roster move. So we will get on to more of this kind of stuff uh, at the end of the roster changes. But in the meantime, Josh has put together a Player of the Week compilation of some of the highlights from Magisk. Magisk was the MVP of the entire tournament. He had some amazing stats. And so it's time now for Player of the Week. And now it's time for Player of the Week. Magisk or Magisk or the Mag Daddy, as I like to call him, had a rating of 1.28 across the tournament. He had the highest uh, percentage of rounds in which he either had a kill, an assist, or survived, or was traded of 80%. He had the highest assists per round in his team, and he had a kill death difference of plus 61 he was an absolute monster uh very exciting to see this guy just going from strength to strength on this team and what a lovely dude so passionate to see him on the uh, on the um what do you call it on the screen <laughs> on the broadcast here's some highlights of his plays They do get one, immediately followed, but the ops at this range are just so brutal. Magisk is doing a great job with that secondary op position. Delayed is going to take some damage through the smoke. Magisk has a new angle and he catches that one. It's a narrow one. I think he would have been fracked and it's going to be going down anyway to the hands of Taco from the backside. Now Fallen, Fallen remains and Magisk finds the headshot. It was such a strange back and forth round, but Astralis just how aggressive. Astralis is retaking it. They know you're there, they're not gonna let you sit and wait. Electro with another kill, and he's the only one producing for NIP. Magisk with another quad kill in the round. Forward. 
especially when you're a player behind. You've got to take risks, you've got to take gambles, but Mages finds it, pins it down. Leaving Caldera with it all to do alone. One on three, head taken off. Estralis walks to a 9-5 lead. The communication of Estralis. Anyway, the Major was a cracker of a Major, I thought, uh, particularly because we had an underdog story in the form of Ents, but also there were no issues. The speech from Carmack at the beginning was a fantastic speech, and Pasha bringing the trophy in was uh, pretty emotional. Uh, let's move on to the roster changes. Uh, a lot of people call this roster mania. I like to call it twit longer mania because that's really what results. Uh, first off, we had Steel aka Josh Nissen, the IGL of Ghost. He was kicked from Ghost, apparently by management, not players, and then went with Sub Rosa for a little bit. He's now back on the roster, so it's uh, minus steel, plus steel, that old classic. Uh, Perhaps the management decided that due to the fact that he cannot play Valve-sponsored events or not being able to play in Faceit's League, was holding back the org from getting the glory they deserve. However... It, uh, it appears that the players have uh, kicked back on that one. And he's back in the active roster, which is good because uh, it's pretty obvious that uh, a lot of their success can be attributed to the fact that he's a hardworking, intelligent, uh, good player. Other news, Vega Squadron have announced that basically all of their players are available. We had Chopper leaving only days ago and then the org announced, well, you know what, you can have, it. You can have them all. We're, uh, we're done with them. Actually, what's interesting is they only signed large contracts just before the major. But these guys didn't have the usual uh, upsetting run at this major that they usually do. It appears that other teams have wised up to the fact that five people are probably going to rush you at some point with MAC-10s on the B-side of Inferno. And so Vega Squadron had little to offer this time around. Apparently, actually, I think this just in, Chopper has joined... Where's he joined? I think he's joined someone while I've been recording this. Uh, maybe, who is it? Oh, yes, okay, so he's joined Spirit. That's exciting. Uh, they've also added eye disbalance, um, and eye disbalance comes from Simon, or Simon, uh, who we saw playing in the European, uh, the CIS minor, I should say. So this is very exciting for Chopper. Landed on his feet. However, the boys from Vega Squadron are flapping in the wind. Tony Black should end up somewhere good. He's a bit of a, a good player. Um, <laughs> that's all I have to say about Vega Squadron. We've got a bunch of news about Cloud9. So Golden, old mate Golden is back and hopefully uh, eating better food this time. Big news, however, is that Flusher has decided to have a little hiatus. Um, I should mention, actually, Golden... I think one of the reasons Golden's come back is because he has passed his medical examinations uh, with flying colours. So it appears he has actually turned his uh, diet and lifestyle around. He's had a bit of time to chill out. We've seen him playing on, I think, FPL. So he's also been uh, keeping the old fingers warm. Um, anyway, now Flusher has departed the team. He stepped away from the game for the time being, in his words. Uh, and it's a sad day for us uh, Cloud9 fans who'd been a little, you know, had our spirits risen by the fact that that roster had disintegrated so uh, disastrously and yet kind of came back with this 
lovely European mix. And uh, sad as well for Automatic, who expressed his um, sadness at the fact that uh, who uh, Flusher, who he'd considered a mentor, was leaving the team now. Perhaps this is a bit too much uh, pressure on Flusher being uh, the most experienced player on the team and a mentor for basically the star player on the team. Um, but anyway, I'm sure he needs a break as the community would know his uh, mother suddenly passed away, I think before their group stage matches in Poland. So that was pretty hardcore and he played pretty well despite that. I think the, there were a couple of um, movements, a couple of uh, moments on cash against phase uh, involving some uh, ill thought out diffusers that uh, maybe cost them part of the game but who's going to blame the guy uh, I don't know whether he'll come back uh, anytime soon I think probably if he does we will see him back in Europe I can't imagine that uh, North America has been that easy for him and I think he'd make a great addition to phase perhaps or mouse sports perhaps um Zelsus has also left Cloud9. They've had a good time with him over the last couple of months, but has decided to have decided to dispense with his services. He was only on a trial, uh, basically as a replacement for Michael Selim, who you also know as Golden. Um, he averaged a 0.87 rating, so he didn't really kind of set the world on fire. We do know, though, he was playing all the hardest supporting roles. And I think he set his sights on a return to Swole Patrol alongside Android, previously of Complexity, Swag, who's still there, and Som, who has had a little reunion with Jason Lake and co. This is according to Rushby Media. There are mentions of Smuya coming to C9. He did tweet out himself, hmm, I wonder what Cloud9 will do with their roster. Interesting times, clown face. But uh, I don't think there'll ever be an episode or a day when this podcast ever considers anything that Owen Butterfield tweets as news you could ever trust in any way, shape or form. So who knows what's going to happen with Cloud9. Uh, Moving back onto the oceanic side of things, Greyhound have decided to bench Sterling. If you recall, Sterling was the AWPA they got into... uh, cover up for the departure of Gratisfaction, who did some amazing things with Renegades at the Major. There were grumblings about Sterling being a little bit too young for this team, but he has now been replaced by Seiko, Simon Williams, who has come from Tainted Minds. Tainted Minds, it should be noted, and I didn't uh, mention it in this podcast, and I should have, they have now changed their name to Icon. <laughs> and the reason for this, as far as I can tell, uh, as per some sort of press release they put out, is because some investment bankers have gotten involved, have decided that there's money to be made in the electronic games the young people are playing and have put in a bunch of money, changed the name to Icon because it's a strong corporate image and it means lots of strong, powerful things. Um, And have been doing some uh, info sessions at shopping malls in uh, various parts of Australia to help parents understand that gaming isn't just for nerds and their children could be mega rich superstars if you just let them play video games. Anyway, I have no ill, Ill, Ill feelings towards Tainted Minds whatsoever. Um, I just, uh, I get a little bit huffy 
sometimes. Uh, now, the last news we should talk about, or the second last news, is that Nordavind, the all-Norwegian team who had a bit of a struggle last year, lost some players, they have rebounded and regrouped by adding Tensky, Rubino, Kroman, uh, and Radifaction. They also have Hallsirk, who's been on the roster for quite some time. They're going to hopefully do for Norway what Ents have done for Finland. I believe they're looking for more sponsors, or maybe they're sponsored up to the eyeballs. I'm not quite sure about that one. Exciting times to see Rubino and Kroman back in the scene. Hopefully these guys can do some good things and show us what it's all about up in the Norway. G2 finally have removed body. I don't mean like they've finally removed body, but finally in the roster news. Although actually, come to think of it now, when I scroll down, there's still more roster news to go. They have removed body and added Amanek. Now, body has been on the chopping block in some people's eyes for a long time, or at least should have been. He hasn't been posting very good numbers for quite some time. I think you cannot put that all down to the fact that he was often the support player as he was doing some entrying sometimes. His stats have not been very good of late. I find it hard to say anything bad about Body because if you recall, he had one of the nicest interviews at IEM Sydney out of anybody. Lovely guy and his uh, girlfriend and he get dogs from shelters uh, and I think they mine them for a while until they're kind of weaned or perhaps, I don't know, house trained. I'm not exactly sure how it worked. Basically, they foster puppies. It's the most wholesome thing in the world. This guy is now in the wind as well. He has a manager who has uh, an email address which he's provided on the Twitlongers. And you can get in touch if you happen to be listening to this podcast and need a French player. <laughs> anyway, good luck to him. Uh, interesting to see Amanek now uh, back in a workable team. He's been on the decimated LDLC, which, as you, as you recall, was uh, dissolved last month, basically. I think this is the first time he'll be away from Devo Juvek for a while, but uh, as far as reports go, he was the top fragger of the two. So hopefully this will be the extra little, um, uh, how do we say it, drop of uh, steroid juice that the boys from G2 need. They didn't have a very convincing run at um, the major whatsoever. Back to Asia, Solo and Glow have left MVP PK. These guys are the oldest players in that team and some of the oldest players playing professionally. I think they're both 30. Uh, MVP PK is obviously looking for a revamp to join their three uh, younger players. Apparently, according to CSGO to Asia, Solo is looking to keep playing. Solo's been around forever, and Glow might be hanging out the mouse. Uh, it'd be good to see those guys get back in form because they, they were looking a bit dangerous early in 2017. They had a bit of a dismal showing uh, recently, and the Asia Miners, I think they came fourth, so didn't even manage, manage to make the uh, major itself. Mouse Sports, uh, some other juicy rumors. I can't really confirm anything at this point, but apparently Chris J is going to come back into the roster and they're in talks with Woxic, Frozen, and Old Maid Carrigan. There's been too much bait for me to be following completely online, but I'm sure by the time I put this episode out, like five minutes later, they'll come out with some sort of announcement and uh, you guys will have to get your news from HLTV. Um, finally, and uh, truthful finally this time, Neo has been uh, standing in for Asilian on Heroic, which is really fun to see him back in the pro scene. Uh, I did manage to catch a couple of their online games the other night, and he was looking pretty good, actually. He had some good clutches up his sleeve. Uh, he couldn't look too good because Blame F was basically uh, romping all over it. 
I believe the results were also posted on CSGO Reddit. They were so amazing. Anyway, I don't know if he's going to stay there for a long time, but uh, obviously he wants to keep playing. And this was really fun to see him. Now, before we get on to this little bit of a uh, section on diet and mental health, the next uh, tournament is the WESG Finals. If you recall, last year they won by Fnatic. They are a sprawling mess of a tournament, really, uh, with some really bizarre sort of uh, post-tournament celebrations and a kind of a bizarre setup too. Last year, they offered an obscene amount of money. I think it was $1.25 million. This year, it's gone down to $890,000, but still an obscene amount of money for people to win. And I think uh, one of the interesting things about this, and it's, it's copped a lot of criticism, is that it's, it's all about nationalities. Uh, and so sometimes you get like a Russian mixed team, you know, with um, Simple and uh, let's say, I don't know, sorry, a CIS mixed team or a Russian mixed team or a, an Australian mixed team and whatnot. And so you just get either the best players or whoever's kind of not playing a tournament at the time. And it's really fun to watch. I can't remember who played last year, but there were some really fun mixed teams. I believe that the, the CIS mixed team actually had maybe Dosha and Simple on the same team or, or someone like that, maybe Dosha and Flamey. Uh, I think it's a cool idea and although it doesn't really work as 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 you would hope because the top, top, top players are either having a break at this time or going to another tournament. One of the uh, controversies that came out last year, if you recall, was at the hotels that these guys were shuttled in at the last minute because something happened with the hotel that were, they were booked into before was a disaster. We saw uh, video footage from people like Rush or Tarek, I think it was, uh, filming you know, leaking roofs and, and exposed plumbing that looked like it was about to explode any moment. Uh, unfortunately for the organizers, uh, a few of the big teams have, have dropped out, like NIP, Fnatic, MVP, PK, K23, and Ents. Uh, this tournament has already copped a lot of criticism for the way the different uh, brackets have been seeded. I just do not get this, and I think it's absolute bullcrap, uh, and people are piling on for, I don't know, the sake of following some sort of herd. The actual fact is the tournament, the, the brackets have been quite seated quite well. So you've got maybe one or two well-known teams in every bracket and then some lesser known, uh, mostly Asian teams in the other brackets. If you, are a, if you are a fan, you're going to expect that these higher tier teams are going to come out of their brackets and then you'll get the sort of high level CS that you are looking for. If you're a tournament organizer, you give a lot of exposure to younger teams to play these large teams get experience and exposure for them and their region. Um, and everybody kind of wins. Oh, and, and if you're a player, you have a huge chance of getting 890 grand, which is, I think, the largest prize pool um, below the major right now. And considering the lack of large teams there, you're basically a shoe in to win a crap ton of money. So I don't get where all the criticism is from. Like, I don't know, you got a bad hotel? Like, uh, is that really... Is that really why you wouldn't go to this tournament? I don't know. May, look, may, maybe maybe it's uh, maybe there's more going on behind the scenes than I realize. But if you're a keyboard warrior and you're banging out some uh, negative crap about this tournament, just think about why you're doing it and think about all the good things that may come out of it for the viewers who have nothing to watch in like four days when it's coming up and also the players who stand to make a crap ton of money and also the scene which can only benefit from the influx of Chinese players and viewers. And this is one of the biggest tournaments that Chinese players and viewers get to observe and participate in. And here ends the rant. Let's talk a little bit about diet and mental health.
So as I said earlier, uh, the whole Australis nutritionist thing kind of got me thinking. Uh, and one of the listeners, I, I can't remember who it was, maybe it was in an email or a, a Twitter DM or something, kind of mentioned that they liked the fact that I talked about diet and nutrition. Um, so I thought we'd just do a little bit more about it. And I'm not going to go too in deep. I think there's, an, there's definitely an episode uh, that could be done on this podcast or another one. Uh, about the way that you can apply the sort of things that a team like Australis is doing in that moneyball fashion to your life, and maybe I'll, I'm the one to do it. I don't know. We'll, we'll see how I, see how I go. But in the meantime, um, this episode was kind of triggered by a podcast called All in the Mind. If you haven't heard of All in the Mind, I would check it out. It's done by the ABC in Australia. It's a pretty good one. There's some episodes that are a bit, a bit gentle, a bit weak. The uh, host, Lynn Malcolm is a lovely lady, but sometimes a little bit less probing than I would like. However, the most recent uh, episode is all about diet and mental health. It's an interview with a guy called Dr. Michael Mosley. He's a British guy, but they talk about a um, institute in Melbourne, Melbourne, Australia, called the Food and Mood Institute, who've been doing some pretty interesting research. Now, one of the reasons I'm kind of really fascinated by food and mood uh, is that it's become so much clearer to me now how much food affects my mood. Back when I was, I think, about 18, my English teacher said to me, he took me out um, uh, for dinner. It wasn't until later that I think he might have been, um, that I realized I think he might have been uh, trying to get a little bit closer to me. <laughs> this was after school, don't worry. Um, but anyway, at the time, he, he said, look, if you don't know that food, if you don't know the foods that make you feel good, then what the hell have you been doing with your life? And it hadn't really occurred to me that there were any foods that made me feel good more than any any else. All I really knew, at least all I really kind of realized uh, a few years later, was that I tended to binge on chocolate biscuits or chocolate um, late at night that I would find in the cupboard in our house, and that I also had what I wasn't sure about at the time. Uh, a sort of, uh, but what I realized now was this kind of severe depression that would come maybe once every week, once every two weeks. I think there was a lot of correlation between that binging on junk food late at night and waking up feeling really, really sad and really, really depressed. Now, there were things in my life that uh, psychologically were, you know, you could say they were depressing. Um, my household wasn't the happiest. It wasn't too bad, but there was a lot of uh, negativity going on, especially between my parents and I really didn't have the easiest time dealing with school um, and all sorts of other things. But I think this played a lot bigger part in, it, in, in my mood than I now realize. When I was about 18 or 19, actually, I went into a doctor and said basically as much. I, I get really, really sad once every week, once every two weeks. It's basically like clockwork. I don't know what to do about it. He put me immediately on an antidepressant. I was on it for about two weeks. Uh, and at the time, I actually went to South Africa for this work thing um, and was so sluggish and basically was walking around like an old man. I was like, fuck these antidepressants. This is bullshit. I can deal with being sad once every two weeks. Um, I'm in a new country. I, I want to explore it. I want to do things. I want to be agile. I want to be young. I want to have energy. So I've never been on them since. <clears throat> but it's only now that I'm kind of realizing how much diet would have been affecting me at the time. And I wish I'd had a doctor who'd gone, hey, what are you eating? What are you doing? How do you feel? What's happening in your life? Uh, now, this is particularly interesting, this episode on All in the Mind, because they talk about some new research that's coming out and that Food and Mood Institute is doing 
that really links the way inflammation works in our brain and how we feel. And it's, it's been pretty obvious to me for a while. If I eat junk food the next morning, I feel shit. If I drink too much alcohol the next morning, I feel shit. Obviously, it's called a hangover. But I didn't really know exactly what it was kind of doing to my brain until now. And what I'm going to do is kind of read out some of what they've published on their website. And hopefully, it won't be too boring. I'm going to paraphrase a lot of it so we can kind of get to the good bits. But I think you might find it interesting. If you are like me, you are 34, you can't really concentrate too heavily on what you're eating all the time. But you can, you do have enough presence of mind to avoid things that perhaps you shouldn't be eating. Now, there are two studies that these guys have sort of built some of their research on top of. Um, and one of them is, is really kind of about uh, diabetes and how effective um, changing your diet was for diabetes. Another one was about, uh, was basically the first kind of study done in on a proper, proper clinical traditions that, um, conditions I should say, that, that illustrated a really clear correlation, not necessarily causation, but correlation between a Mediterranean style diet and preventing depression. Uh, if you're not sure what a Mediterranean style diet is, I would look it up. I guarantee you that the Australis guys are on some variation of what this is. Um, and the second study, which I'll just read out verbatim because it's quite fascinating, was more about uh, comparing psychotherapy and it's a link to curing depression. Uh, basically, it says, in a recent prevention study in the US, the investigators wanted to examine the potential of a form of psychotherapy to reduce the risk of clinical depression in older adults who are already suffering from some depressive symptoms. We know that, on average, people with elevated depressive symptoms are approximately four and a half times more likely to go on to develop full-blown clinical depression over the course of one year compared to people without such symptoms. The researchers weren't aware of the link between diet and mental health, as it is a relatively new field, so they chose dietary counseling as the comparison to the psychotherapy, believing that dietary counseling would be psychologically inert, as in it wouldn't really do anything. So it would be a fair comparison. They were surprised to find that dietary counseling, i.e. someone giving you nutritional advice and, and monitoring it and helping you, you know, stick to it, was just as effective as psychotherapy for reducing transition rates, transition rates from uh, mild depression or depressive symptoms to full-blown clinical depression. So this was just as effective as psychotherapy. And the rates for that transition was between 8 and 9%, which was compared to the expected 20 to 25% for these people. And this was in both groups. So that was kind of nuts, right? And pun intended, actually, because the diet these people were on was a Mediterranean diet that included nuts. So this was just as effective as psychotherapy. One of the things that this doctor said, which kind of blew my mind, was that inflammation is caused by the highly processed, highly sugary foods that uh, is such a part of our diet these days. And the inflammation actually works its way into the brain. So literally your brain is as inflamed as other parts of your body. And that is what somehow sometimes contributes to our feelings of despair or stress or sadness or anxiety. Another thing that kind of blew my mind was that, and you'll hear in the podcast, in our guts, we have as many uh, quote-unquote brain cells. They're obviously not brain cells, but they're quite similar to what the cells in the brain are. Um, as many as a cat's brain. So actually, we've kind of got two brains and everything that's happening in our gut is in some way affecting our thinking 
um, in, a, in, a, in a way that I have no idea how to explain or even understand. <laughs> but even that is kind of amazing. Um, so Food and Mood Institute in Melbourne have a current randomized trial, which is the very first attempt to answer the question, if I improve my diet, will my depression improve? We saw some results with that study that they cited in the last 12 months, but that was specifically just a correlation not a causation these guys are trying to work out the definitive causation um, they've been running it since 2012 and if the results are successful then we might see doctors and pharmacies just treating depression with diets in the future i think actually it is from what i can tell it is definitely a correlation and even in my own life and if you are not treating your depression or your mood swings or your moodiness or your anxiety or your inability to cope with stressful situations with your diet as perhaps one of many other or several other ways to combat it, then you are crazy. And in fact, not even if you have stress or anxiety or depression, if you are, let's say, tier three in your chosen field your chosen profession or even in your relationships and you want to get to tier one you want to get to that s class that australia's are currently in if you are not aware of what you're eating and aware of being of, of eating well then you're crazy you're crazy <laughs> and look we've all been students too i've probably got several students several students probably several hundred of you you are students right now um eating noodles and pot ramen and and i don't know chowing down on what what did i used to eat um chocolate biscuits i can't remember um i get i get that it's hard to eat healthy sometimes and it's, and it's sometimes more expensive and especially when i was living in the u.s you guys make it so hard on yourselves to eat healthily uh i remember when i was in new york there's just bodegas on every corner and there's almost nothing healthy in there so i don't know do what you got to do so let's just um, read a few more little bits and bobs from the website because there are a few other things that blew my little brain open. A diet high in saturated fats and refined sugars has a very potent negative impact on brain proteins that we know are important in depression. Proteins called neurotrophins, which protect the brain against oxidative stress and promote the growth of new brain cells. In fact, we published an important study last year that showed a clear relationship between the quality of older adults' diets and the size of their hippocampus a section of the brain that is central to learning, memory, and mental health, and that re relies on neurotrophins to grow new cells. There also seems to be an impact of saturated fat on the stress response system, which is also important in both depression and anxiety. Processed foods and high-fat diets are particularly, particularly noxious for this and the gut. So this is kind of crazy. You, if you get to the end of your life and you've been eating junk food the whole time, in fact, I would venture as far to say as if you get to the end of the year and you've been eating junk food the whole time, there's a there's a possible chance you are going to have a, a like literally a smaller brain. You're going to have less real estate to uh, learn things and make new memories, uh, remember old things, you know, new strats, old executes, <laughs> call outs on various maps. Um, I think... The last interesting kind of point we should leave with that kind of really sums everything up and I think speaks to the holistic approach that Australis is taking is the very large body of evidence that now exists suggesting that diet is important to mental health in the same way as it is to physical health. 
The World Health Organization has long said there is no health without mental health, and we now believe that the opposite is also true, and that physical and mental health should be considered two sides of the same coin. In this sense, the same dietary and physical activity recommendations that are made to prevent and treat common physical diseases are also relevant for mental disorders. There is no longer a justification for not addressing the whole person when treating mental disorders. And it may, be, may well be that a dietitian will soon become part of every multidisciplinary psychi- psychiatric team. And then in the future, referrals to dietitians will be common for people with mental disorders. For individuals, the recommendations are no different for any other aspect of health. The main constituents of diet should be plant foods such as vegetables, salads, fruits, legumes, for instance, chickpeas, lentils, and tofu, whole grains and raw nuts, fish and lean red meats, and healthy fats such as olive oil. At the same time, processed foods should be avoided. They contain high levels of unhealthy fats, sugars, and refined carbohydrates, as well as other components that are increasingly being shown to have a detrimental impact on gut microbiota, such as artificial sweeteners and emulsifiers. They go on to talk about the, about the importance of uh, fiber and supplements like zinc. I invite you to go to their website just Google uh, Food and Mood Institute and I'm sure you'll find it if you want some more advice. So I guess what like I found really in- interesting about this is that I've watched uh, m- so many games from Australis in the last year and a half going, wow, when are the other teams actually going to catch up to these guys? Look at everything they're doing. And in a weird way, I was kind of doing what they were doing when I started this podcast. I started seeing a psychotherapist uh I was really in a great exercise routine. As you may know, if you've been listening for a long time, I've given up certain addictive behaviors. I haven't played Counter-Strike now in six months. Crazy, considering I have a podcast about it. Um, But in some ways, I was maximizing the success of my life. I was clearing up bits that I felt like uh, really needed some, um, I don't know, attention. And if you think about, like, for instance, the therapy I did, a lot of it was about my family and certain emotions that I've held in for a long time since I was a kid. It was like targeted practice, right? It was like going into a server and going, today I'm going to look at my utility, my smokes or my cash. We're going to do cash today. My cash as a human being really needed some attention. So I went and did that for quite some time and focused on it for, you know, a good period of time. Once I'd done that and I'd kind of, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I'll see my therapist when I'm back in Sydney, but at least a lot of the really important things that I went to see him for in the first place, I'd kind of mastered them in a way. Maybe I'll need a brushing up in six months or a year, but I'd really gotten over this thing that had been kind of causing me a lot of stress and a lot of uh, continual disappointment in my life because of some of the uh, expectations I had uh, formed around myself and the way I related with uh, people and family and friends and relationships. So, Where I'm going with this is that why do I not look at my life as if I am going for the number one spot? My goals are actually, and I have some really solid goals that I'm going for, but they're not necessarily victory at any cost. They're more like things I want to do. Um, And it's it's a little harder to, to mark those victories compared when you compare it to say winning the uh major in Katowice I don't get a trophy no one's going to give me a trophy for what I do uh they will pay me but not even necessarily uh will I be paid so it's very difficult to go well what are my markers for success 
firstly, and then what are all the ways I can do to get there? Um, and f- I've done the first one. I know what my markers are for success. I know how I will feel like a success. And to some extent, I really know how I'm going to get there. There's, there's some, some really clear steps that I can take in certain parts to get to that place. But what I, am not, what I have not been considering is, am I doing everything statistically to get there? And I, I really am coming up short on that because I can look at my schedule on the weekend and go, all right, well, there's a few things I can do to push the, push the, the, the rock forward, uh, push the, um, what do you call it? I don't know, make some progress on my goals. But not on a day-to-day basis am I continually going, all right, well, if I get eight hours sleep here instead of seven, I'm going to have a 15% better uh, responsivity at work, which will lead to, over time, a higher statistical percentage to achieve my goals and essentially win and come first and be tier one and so i think i think i need to re-look at my life and look at all the ways that i feed myself including sleep uh including uh diet um including exercise because to some extent i've just gone oh well i need to exercise and oh i should eat healthy and oh i should get more sleep but haven't actually gone you know what Good sleep means this amount of hours. Good food means this food exactly. Uh, and good exercise means this exactly. And go, all right, these are not just making my body feel good. This is not just uh, me waking up in a better mood. This is not just me feeling healthy and not bloated or full and not bloated when I finish a meal. It's actually all contributing to what my final victory will be, uh, which is obviously world domination in my chosen field so i don't know food for thought i'm going to be thinking about it in the next week and maybe we'll do a proper uh, episode of money balling your life in the future i hope some of the thoughts about uh diet have been interesting i think every time i eat junk food from now on i will be thinking about how it's basically going to inflame my brain and put a whole lot of pressure on all of the bits and connections in there and hopefully that will make me less likely to reach for that chalky bar in the future. If you enjoy this podcast, you can reach out uh, the truth at thetruthcsgo.com. On Twitter, at thetruthcsgo. On the Discord, that's on the Twitter as well. The music was by Beaufort. The news and the player of the week was by Josh. Thank you very much, Josh. And we are affiliated with CSGO to Asia. And I'm going to leave you now with the new CSGO anthem. This was composed and conducted by the London Symphony Harmonic Orchestra and it was recorded in the Royal Albert Hall with a 20... I'm just kidding. This is easy for us. This is the Verkars, V-E-R-K-K-A-R-S. If you love it uh, like me, give them a shout out on Instagram or YouTube and until next time, enjoy the game. Mainerist meitseri, haastaa legendaarisi Nyt isos liigas niinku ruusperi Suomalas trättiin maailmanluokan kaliberis Kaks lasi maito ja yks lasi piimää Ei se kylvää ja ei se siittää Natu paljusta kansi avataan Pojat on tulos, torilla tavataan Easy for ends, 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 ends Putte Minä myllyttää, vihut va-
valmiina hyllyttää Piti mennä A, mut mentiinkin B Nimikko, taktiikka, Aleksi B Nuori osuja, Sergei jakaa Hiustyylei, vanhaa tapaa X7 saitin luukottaa Haastiks siis mikki puudottaa Airial City pojas kenti Mut ei kanssa jutelli kentil Kynäri kanssa tietää ketkä on NJMC Pistää ykkösel päihi Easy for Easy for ends, 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 put the upper belt, put the upper belt. 